we see the yellow flashing light and it says steep incline ahead, check your brakes. And we usually do. And the reason we do is because it's, it's a warning and the warning is always calling for some kind of action. And warnings always call us to do something. You see a little child sees the yucky face on a, a bottle of medicine or poison and he knows that he's not to take that medicine. That's the action he doesn't do. A father looks at his son and he says, you keep going the way you're going, young man, and you're going to fall right over the cliff. You're going to have to turn around and do something different. Even the ubiquitous stoplight has its warning. Red means stop. Green means go. Yellow means go faster. <laughs> we don't always obey the warnings as we should. Uh, today, Jonah is going through this huge city of Nineveh, so big it took three days to go through. My scripture professor said it took about a half an hour to get through. There was a little bit of hyperbole there, but the message was the same. Warning, warning, you keep doing what you're doing, and in 40 more days, this whole city's going to be destroyed. And so Jonah, who is, you talk about the reluctant prophet, Jonah is actually listened to. Of course, he doesn't make him very happy, but he's listened to, and God relents and is not going to destroy that city. Um, they survive. Uh, my brothers and sisters, welcome to Nineveh. We are living in a time of warp speed change. And if we do not read the signs of the time, the warnings that are being given to us and do some changing ourselves, uh, we're going uh, we're gonna to be a species that may be in serious trouble. And I think, I think we are. You see, there's been a, a seismic shift from what, what, we, thought the, the, what we thought the rock-solid liberal democracy was going to hold for us. I can remember 1989 like it was yesterday. I was studying Spanish in Mexico, and I can remember watching, watching the television as, as, as communism collapsed, as, as the Berlin Wall came down. Even, even Lady Liberty in, in Tiananmen Square was, was marching back and forth and the young students said, we want to be free, we want to be a democratic nation as well. And, and, and even, though, even though it didn't happen immediately, we were sure if we kept the trade, if we kept the lines of language open, it was going to be just fine. As a matter of fact, in, in 1990-91, uh, Francis Fukuyama wrote a book called The End of History. Liberal democracy had won. Well, we know it wasn't the end of history. And the history that is unfolding before us today is showing a budding crisis going from that liberal democracy, which we thought was rock solid, to autocratic nations literally all over the world. And they seem to be increasing, and we ourselves are in danger of following suit if we do not heed the warnings. Uh, eh, what's going on? I just heard on NPR this morning there are 10 regional hotspots in the, in the Middle East, not counting Ukraine, 
that can break into a full-fledged war any time now if we do not heed the warning and take appropriate action. We've been, we've been warned about the end of our environment since Rachel Carson wrote The Silent Spring. And that was in the 60s. And it's getting worse and worse, and it seems like it's not going to get that much better. As a matter of fact, the doomsday clock is getting closer and closer if we do not change our ways. And even AI, which seems to hold out such incredible promise, is going to very shortly be making decisions for us. Able to do, as a matter of fact, it already is. Whether you can get a, a mortgage loan depends on the algorithms of a computer program. The day is going to come when it's going to decide who gets the job and who doesn't get the job. And the day may even come it will decide who you can marry and who you cannot. And so we are, we are, we are living in radical times that are calling for a, a radical change in us. St. Paul, even though he was writing 2,000 years ago, thought that the eminent coming of Christ was right around the corner. And so he, he said emphatically, the world as we know it is passing away. And it's true. The world as we know it is passing away. It was passing away then, and it's passing away now. What seems so scary is that the institutions, the political, the religious, the educational, the economic, these institutions that literally held us together right now, right before our very eyes, seem to be crumbling. I mean, our our political system, obviously, uh, we're told all we need to do is turn on the television or the radio and, and told that it's not to be trusted. You know, the once rock solid foundation of our democracy. And every democracy absolutely depends upon this. The peaceful transfer of power is now in question. And I I dare say a quarter to maybe 30% of the population doesn't necessarily believe that that's necessary anymore. And and, and so, you know, and and we were told earlier that we we were allowed to have our opinion. You can have your opinion of anything, but you're not allowed to have your own facts. Today we're living in a world where we have alternative facts and we can believe anything we want to believe. And we do believe anything we want to believe. And the powers of darkness are having a field day because the powers of darkness, and there really are powers of darkness. If we are to deny that there is evil in the world, we are the most naive of all people. It's there. The powers of darkness want us to divide so that they can conquer. All good, all bad, all black, all white. And if you're not wearing my jersey and my t-shirt and my color, then you are all fill in the blank. And of course, I'm always on the good side. That's our political system. Our church, the church which was the cultural center of our lives, not just the religious center of our lives. When you, in the 50s, were growing up in Chicago, nobody asked you what street you lived on. They asked you what parish you went to. And there was a parish on every other block. But today, 
Actually, this is a pretty good crowd for the weather. Today, our, I say Mass in, this is in all the parishes in the diocese, all around the diocese, and, and you can shoot a cannon through and, and probably not hit anybody in most of them. We seem to be losing our legitimacy, and of course, we clergy, in, in many ways, deservedly so, have lost our legitimacy. I always just say, you know, you put the priest on the pedestal for one reason, you get a better aim. <laughs> you know, and you, and you always go for a, an arm or a leg. You don't want to go for the heart because you may need him sometime. Yeah, that, that's, that's dying. Our educational system literally is in shambles, especially higher education in many, many, many ways. And even our medical profession, that's simple science, is now being questioned and politicized. Who ever thought that there would be a political war over whether we should or how we should treat COVID. And as the science began to grow and we began to learn, we had to change according to the science, but there were those who said, absolutely not. And so we believed in all those conspiracy theories. All right, that's the picture, not a pretty picture. It's the warning. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do about it? Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. If we follow a first century Jew some 2,000 years later, he'd better have something really serious to say to help us deal with where we find ourselves today. And he does. And he does. With one word, one word, first word out of his mouth in Mark's gospel, which is the first of the gospels, picks it up from John the Baptist, who now is in prison, is going to lose his life because of it. And the word is this, repent, repent. There's something better. And I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it the kingdom of God. There is a, a better world. It is the dream of Martin Luther King. It is the picture that Jesus paints. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. But you're not going to get to that kingdom of God unless you do something first. Repent. Of course, when we think of repenting, we think of beating our breasts, saying mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. That's not what repent means, and you know it. This is a pretty sophisticated congregation that I'm speaking to. You know the word. The word is metanoia or metanoia. It depends on who you taught you your Greek. And metanoia means metanous. Meta, of course, is higher. Nous is mind. It's the higher mind. What repent means is warning. You're going in the wrong direction. Turn around. I got a better way. And I want to show you the better way. It is my way. And he's not saying it's my way or the highway. He's saying if you are willing to turn around and suffer the consequences of turning around because you will be fought against. It will be fought against because the, the powers of the status quo will fight you every step of the way because they want to hold on to what they have and cling to the addictions that they've been given and they are the addictions of power and greed and that's not to be you. If you're going to turn around and you're going to follow my way, you need to have my mind. 
It is the mind of Christ. And so our, the warning has been given to us and we are to turn around now and to, to see what that mind of Christ is all about. And St. Paul makes it very clear. Very clear. Though he was in, in Philippians, he says, though he was in the form of God, that means all-powerful, he did not deem equality with God as something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself. Why? On behalf of the other. It's the great paradox. Strength does not come from domination. Power does not come from being in control. Strength and power come from letting go, seeing the other, loving the other, forgiving the other. How do we turn around and get this mind of Christ? What I'm about to say is, is going to sound really trite, but it isn't. Ask for it. Ask for it. In no uncertain terms, Jesus says it this way, Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, dock and the door shall be open for it. Do you want that power? Ask for it. What's he going to give you? What can God give us? The only thing that God can give us is God. The only thing that God can give us is what God's got in God's purse. What does God have in God's purse? Mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation, wholeness. It's there. And that is that secret weapon, that power that is given to each and every one of us as a member of the body of Christ in space and time. The only thing that Christ can do right now is through us. And so we can be given that power to see through the eyes of the Christ and to act as he would. Turning around and putting on a new mind is a continual process of changing. The world is changing and we need to change not necessarily in lockstep with it, sometimes contra it, sometimes exactly the opposite of it. We cannot step in the same river twice, Heraclitus told us. And John Henry Newman says that you're going to need to change because life is change. And to have changed often is to receive more life. History is to be our teacher. The purpose of history, and we can't go back in history. I, I go a little bit crazy every time I, I think that we're, we start condemning historical fi figures who were living in the time that they were living in really did not know what we know today. Uh, Thomas Jefferson had slaves and so we want to exhume his body and beat him up. It's not, it's not what we need to do. What, we, what his history is about is to teach us how to change. Santana was right. The one who is ignorant of history is bound to repeat it. We keep sawing the saw in the same old world. What we did before does not work now, so we need to grow. We have grown. Slavery is not the law of the land anymore. The women that were treated as chattel, by far nowhere near equal yet. But we're changing. We have the power to change. But we can't do it just by ourselves. We need comrades, colleagues. And they say the reason when 
when Yuval Harari wrote the book Sapiens, uh, which is this vast sweep of history. He said the reason the Sapiens survived and the Neanderthals did not survive was because they were able to work in large groups to cooperate with each other. So if we feel helpless by ourselves and the things that we do, and, and, and they are very good and very important, it, then maybe we should start looking for colleagues and joining groups. We've got so many wonderful resources, beginning with the, the, the People's Resource Center right here and, and, and PADS and, and so many things. What do you want to work on? What's, what's your one thing? What's your passion? And we're called to surround ourselves with those who have the, the same passion. Whether it's, whether it's finding houses for the homeless, whether it's working with the refugees, whether it's, it's, it's working for and ensuring democracy, whether it's being an active person in pursuit of peace, we need to find those we can work with. And the warning is given to us, and an action really is to be taken. And sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we can't do that. We may be homebound, or we may be of a certain age where that becomes really difficult to do. But then we have the greatest power of all. It is a power that I witness uh, when I say daily Mass here. It, it is a power of, of those who cannot get out and, and fight in the field anymore. But we dare to believe, and we dare, it really is a dare to believe, that it's the greatest power on earth, and it too will sound trite, but it's not. Pray, 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 pray. Pray for peace. Pray for the refugees. Pray for Mother Earth. It sounds like, because what we are changing, because we are intimately connected to each other, is the mindset of the world. And what we are asking the world to do is to put on the mind of Christ. And what does Christ tell us to do? Turn around. The kingdom of God is at hand.